0: Let's ask God to help us. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, the Bible. We remember that we live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will feed us this morning with the bread of eternal life, that as we recognise your extraordinary power and grace, that we may know it in our lives and that you will hold on to us, unto eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you think that you can make it to the end as a Christian do you think you have what it takes do you think you can hold on I sometimes imagine the Christian life is like walking along a path in a war zone like the Kokoda Trail that the Aussie soldiers walked along in New Guinea in World War II being a Christian is like walking along this trail in the jungle. You can't see very far in front of you, and there are dangers lurking everywhere. We don't know what is to come in our future as Christians. It is also uncertain. So much could happen. Now think of some of the dangers that you could face on this Christian Kokoda Trail. There's persecution We don't face too much persecution in Sydney nowadays, do we? But even in Sydney, people think we're stupid to be Christians. And what if serious persecution comes? How will we handle it? The other night in my Through the Bible in a Year, I was reading about a guy by the name of King Zedekiah. He was king of Judah. He was king, and while he was king, the, the Babylonians came to Judah and they conquered the nation. They captured Zedekiah... And then they killed all his sons before his eyes and then they put his eyes out. I was trying to imagine what it would be like to have all my sons killed before my eyes. It wasn't a happy thought, believe me. So of, if someone comes and says to me, as has been done and as is being done in many places in the world today, give up your faith or else I'll kill your sons before your own eyes. Would I be able to hold on? There's persecution. There's also general suffering and pain. Unless uh, Jesus comes back first, all of us will eventually die. Most of us will get sick and suffer along the way. And that will challenge our faith. It will make us question whether it's all real. So do you think you can hold on? No matter how sick you get, no matter how much you have to suffer. The Bible also talks about spiritual enemies that we face. There's the devil prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. That's the way the Bible describes the devil. Filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. You reckon you can resist him? We also don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know where life is going to take us. What if we end up someplace where it's really hard to be a Christian, where we can't get any support, where we can't find a good church? We also don't know what's going to happen to us. What if we end up poor and destitute, without even, without even food or clo- uh, food to eat or clothes to wear? What if it comes down to a choice between staying Christian or else stealing to get what we need? I doubt that's going to happen, maybe not too realistic, but here's one closer to home. What if we end up having to work so hard that it becomes impossible to manage church and keep up as a Christian? What if work becomes so consuming that we drift away and forget our faith? Or who knows what temptation may be coming our way? A while ago, I think I've told you this before, I read a book about persevering in ministry. And the author reckons that as a minister, at least once in your career, you should expect to meet someone you find so attractive that you think it's worth giving up everything for her. You'll think it's worth chucking in your marriage and your family and your ministry and your faith for her. What if I meet her? What if you meet that irresistible person? Will you be able to keep going as a Christian? Or what if you face some other temptation? Is there some temptation that you just couldn't resist, something you would give up Christianity for? We're on this Christian Kokoda Trail. We know the goal. It's to persevere to the end, to make it to heaven no matter what. But we don't know what's coming. We don't know what dangers are lurking out there in the jungle. So do you think you can make it? Have you got what it takes? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, Paul brings the first half of his letter to an end. And he tells us, he, he, he asks how we should respond to the great news that he's been telling us for the last eight chapters. It's there in chapter 8 and verse 31. He says, chapter 8 verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? He's about to reflect on how we, should, how we should respond, how we should react to his message so far. And so now I guess would be a good time to think about his message so far, to think back through the letter, to remind ourselves of what it is that we need to respond to. So let's go all the way back. Way back in chapter 1 we met Paul. Paul has devoted his life to telling people a message, a message he calls the gospel, the good news of God. And back in chapter 1 he tells us, he's not ashamed of the gospel because, he says, it's God's powerful way of rescuing people. Go back with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul writes, 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes and that's like the theme verse that's what he's going to be talking about this gospel and how it's the power of god for salvation and then for the next couple of chapters what he does he talks about what we need to be saved from all people have sinned he says all people have rejected and ignored god we don't give god the love and obedience he deserves chapter 3 and verse 10 is the summary Three ten, as it's written there's no one righteous not even one There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. We're facing God's anger on our sin. And trying harder can't fix our problem. Trying to obey God's law can't make it right. There's nothing we can do. But God has done something for us. He gave Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrifice of atonement, to pay for our sin. So now when we trust in Jesus, we can be pardoned, justified, declared to be right with God. Chapter 3 and verse 23, 323. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Jesus has died as the sacrifice for us. When we depend on Jesus, we're forgiven, justified. And so Paul goes on to say we have peace with God, the war is over, and we can rejoice in the sure hope of heaven. That's chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope, the sure hope of the glory of God. We're saved from God's anger as a free gift by his grace. We can't earn it. Our good works can't help us, Even obeying God's law can't help us. We can only rely on God's grace. The thing is that that's not an excuse for sin. The fact that we're saved by grace alone doesn't mean that we can therefore go and do what we want. And the fact that we're not under God's law, but under grace instead, that's not an excuse to sin either. And so that's what Paul picks up in chapter six. Look at me at chapter six and verse fifteen. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. God hasn't set us free from law so we can sin. God has set us free from law so we can stop sinning. He set us free from law so we can serve him in a new way, under a new covenant, empowered by his Holy Spirit to live his way. And so chapter 7 and verse 5 tells us all about that. 7, 5. When we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now... By dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, the Old Testament law couldn't set people free from sin. But now God has done in Jesus what the law couldn't do. He's set us free from sin. He's satisfied the just requirements of the law and he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. And so, therefore... Chapter 8 and verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And then for the rest of chapter 8, Paul has talked about what it means to live in this new covenant, what it means to live in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. He enables us to please God. He helps us to know that God is our Father. And one day the Holy Spirit will raise us to life, just as he raised Jesus to life. And so now, even as we suffer in this, in this fallen world, we have a profound hope. We know that God has an unstoppable plan. We know that his plan is to use all things to bring us to glory. Chapter 8 and verse 28. Chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. it's been a message of great news hasn't it no wonder paul's not ashamed of this gospel in jesus god has done everything it takes to save us he's forgiven us pardoned us justified us given us peace he's given us his spirit to help us to live for him so now we know him as our father now we can serve him in this new way and now we can be absolutely certain we are going to glory nothing can stop God from saving us. And so we come to the end of chapter 8, where Paul brings his argument to this, to this joyful climax, where he asks the question, how are we going to respond to this, this stunning, brilliant news that I've been telling you about? And then what he does, he asks a series of questions. A series of questions to try to, to, try to capture the complete confidence, the, the absolute security and peace that we can have because of this gospel. Now, the first question is there in verse 31, and it, it shows us how safe we are in God's hands. It shows how in God we have a sure protection. Paul asks, if he's on our side, who can be against us? Halfway through verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? I guess if you think about it, there are lots of people who might try to oppose you if you're a Christian, if you've got God on your side. There are people who hate Jesus. There's uh, the devil who might oppose you. But in the light of what Paul has shown us, well, who cares? Who cares who opposes us? It's not much of a worry, really, is it? Many years ago, I used to do karate. And my instructor, some of you may have met him, was an unbelievable martial artist. He is really big. He's over six feet tall. He's built like a tank. And he's incredibly fast and powerful. He moves like a cat. He floats like a butterfly and stings like about 25 bees. Uh, Sometimes our karate club used to uh, go out for social events, out to dinner or something like that. You know, when I went out to dinner with my instructor, I always felt pretty safe. I wasn't too worried about getting mugged or something. fact I kind of wish someone would try and mug us just so I could see my instructor in action if God's on your side you don't need to worry about anyone who opposes you you're in safe hands God is a sure protection then in the next question Paul gives us evidence that uh, that we have a sure inheritance He says that God wants to give us all things. And in context, he's talking about all things that get us to and then all things that are in the new heavens and the new earth. It's talking about our inheritance in the new heavens and new earth. And think about what God has done to get us there, to give us these things. He gave up his own beloved son. He gave Jesus to die for us on the cross. He could not possibly have paid a greater price. And why? So we can be forgiven and made God's people. So we can inherit the new heavens and the new earth. And so, now do you think after God has given Jesus to make it possible for us to have our inheritance, do you think he's going to give it to us? Of course he will. Verse 32. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In the last week, I've been teaching Joel to ride a bicycle without training wheels. The other day, I came home early from work, put on casual clothes, uh, put shoes on Joel, went out to the backyard, got his bike, took it through the house, uh, took him and his bike down to the large hall, handed him his bike, sat him on it. and Joel looked up at me and said, ''Can I ride my bike, Dadda?'' Now, I didn't say this, but it's pretty obvious Of course he can ride his bike. That's why I came home and changed and put his shoes on and got his bike and brought him down to the hall. God gave his own beloved son to die on the cross for us so we could inherit the good things of the new heaven and the new earth. So do you think we'll get those good things? Of course we will. Why do you think he went to all that trouble in the first place? We have a sure inheritance, a sure protection, a sure inheritance. Uh, The next questions then take us into an imaginary court of law. And we see that God's verdict on us is sure. We have a sure verdict. God has already made his decision about us. He's already justified us. He's already pardoned us from all our sin. And at the right hand of God is Jesus interceding for us. Acting as like our lawyer, seated at the right hand of the judge, speaking to the judge on our behalf, telling God that he died and rose again for us, reminding God of his verdict, so to speak. That's that's the picture, that's the courtroom scene that Paul paints for us. And he says, put yourself in that courtroom scene and ask yourself, Who's going to bring a charge against you? Verse thirty three Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who's he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Again, I guess someone might try to bring a charge against us. The devil might try to accuse us. Non-Christians might try to accuse us. Our own consciences might try to accuse us but the judge has already made his decision and jesus is there speaking to him on our behalf the decision is certain we are justified and anyone who tries to accuse us is wasting their breath it doesn't matter what the accusation is it cannot touch us we have a sure verdict And then in the last questions, Paul talks about how we can't be separated from God's love to us in Jesus. We have a sure connection. God is never going to stop loving us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ, from the love of Christ? And then Paul talks through some of the things that might try to have a go at separating us. And he reminds us that in this world, we should expect stuff like that to happen. He quotes from Psalm 44 to, uh, to show us that these things shouldn't take us by surprise. Even if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that you should expect to suffer as God's person. So verse 35 again. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, lots of things will challenge us in this life. Lots of things might try to take us away from the love of God in Jesus. We might end up persecuted. We might end up enduring hardship and trouble. We might end up without food or clothes. We might end up in danger. It is all quite possible. Don't be surprised if it happens to you. But can these things separate you from God's love? No way. Verse 37. No no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul finishes by going, through, by going through everything that you could possibly think of. And he says, none of it can separate us from God's love to us in Jesus. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My children feel pretty safe with me, I think, and I do try and keep an eye on them, do try and hold their hands when we go somewhere. But unfortunately, they're not as safe as they might think. Every now and then, they manage to get away from me. I'll turn away for a second, and they're gone. This week, I left the front door open, and my one-year-old escaped and came to church on his own, found him on the steps over there by himself. Well, there's that terrible story from the tsunami. Do you remember it? uh, Of the dad who was holding onto his baby as, as the wave went past, but then he looked down, and he was just holding the baby's clothes. The baby had slipped out of his hands terrible story it's not going to happen with God's love it's not going to happen God is much bigger, much stronger much more vigilant than any dad nothing can separate us from his love just look again at verses 38 to 39 and see some of the things there death death can't separate you from God's love life can't do it Spiritual forces can't do it. Angels, demons, the devil himself can't do it. Nothing in the present can do it. Nothing in the future can do it. Doesn't matter what kind of power you're talking about, it's not strong enough. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter how high you go. Doesn't matter how low you go. Nothing, anywhere, ever can separate us from god's love in jesus we have a totally secure connection it's thrilling stuff isn't it it's one of the high points i think of the whole of scripture so let's come back to the question we started with do you think you can make it to the end as a christian have you got what it takes to be able to hold on It's actually completely the wrong question to ask, isn't it? You and I might not be able to make it to the end. You and I might not have what it takes to hold on. In fact, I'm sure in ourselves we don't have what it takes. Left to ourselves, we are bound to fall. We can't save ourselves from the dangers that we will face on this trail. But it's completely irrelevant. Because the fact is, God is holding on to us. God is holding on to us. If by the power of God's spirit, you are depending on Jesus, then God is holding on to you. He is the one who can bring us through this Christian Kokoda trail. And so the question is not, can I hang on? The question is not, do I have what it takes? The question is, is God strong enough to hold me? Does he have what it takes? And this part of Romans 8 has made it clear, hasn't it? In God. We have a sure protection, a sure inheritance, a sure verdict, and a sure connection. If we are depending on Jesus, we will be saved. We will enter the new heavens and new earth. We will share in glory. It is ours. No ifs, no buts, nothing can stop God from bringing us to glory. God is big enough to do it. God is strong enough to do it. God loves us enough to do it. Nothing can stop him. depending on Jesus you are eternally secure so don't worry too much about the dangers they're there don't stress too much about the obstacles they are there don't worry about where this trail is going to lead you commit yourself to Jesus fix your eyes on him keep walking the trail one step at a time and know that walking with you is the God who will bring all his people to glory let's pray Our heavenly father we thank and praise you that you have given us your holy spirit as the guarantee that we will come to glory We pray, Father, that we will trust in you and not in ourselves, that we will hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ and fix our eyes on him and stand firm to the end in your strength. Please hold us so that at the last day our whole spirit, soul and body will be kept blameless before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.